Well, good morning. Hey, if you're one of those people who are getting baptized, uh, that would be a good time to head out and get ready for that event. Fall of 78, I went off to um, orientation at Texas A&M, and they gathered all the College of Engineering students together, and the, the associate dean got up there and he talked about the um, job opportunities for engineers, six jobs for every engineer, 12 if you're petroleum or chemical engineering. And then he suddenly stopped and said, hey, I haven't given you guys a chance to get to know one another. Why don't you turn around and greet the person on your right and then greet the person on your left, get their name. And we came back and he said, uh, just so you know, if statistics hold up, of those two people you met, a total of three, only one of you will graduate with an engineering degree. He was trying to get us to step up our game to raise our level of study, and his means of doing that was fear. You may not make it, so you engineers better work your tails off. That was a very unsettling message for an 18-year-old freshman. Well, God is calling us to another level of life, if you will. He's calling us to represent him well. He's calling us to take on his character, his values, to stand for righteousness and justice and to care for the vulnerable. How does he bring us to fulfill those purposes? I want to tell you, it's not fear. I want to talk about that this morning. So if you've got a Bible, if, you've got a, if you'd open it to 1 Samuel chapter 11, we're going to wrestle with the question, how does God bring us to fulfill his purposes? How does God bring us to fulfill his purposes? Now, if you haven't been with us, we're studying the books of 1 and 2 Samuel. This is the transition of Israel from a loose federation of states to a monarchy. The book opened with a lady who was dealing with infertility. She prayed to God, if you give me a son, I dedicate him to you. And God gave her that son, and she dedicated him to the Lord. His name is Samuel. Samuel, God raises up to be a prophet to be God's spokesperson. And until Samuel came along, there hadn't been much word from God. Now Israel is struggling with security. They have got an enemy on, the, uh, on its uh, borders, the Philistines, and it's kind of a ubiquitous, always there kind of thing. And so they decide they want a king to protect them. And the prophet Samuel said, you know, that's not a great idea. This king is going to take and take and take and take and take from you. But they didn't say, I don't care. I want a king anyway. So God says, go ahead and give them their, their wish. And so Samuel, we saw last week, anointed Saul as the first king. But the word choice was really interesting. He called him a prince or a ruler. He didn't use the word for king. Because the idea was, Saul, you will serve as king under my authority. You will not have absolute authority but you will rule as I direct you. So that's where we are in 1, King, uh, 1 Samuel 11. And Saul is going to get his first challenge. Here we go in verse 1. Now Nahash the Ammonite came up and besieged Jabesh-Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, make a covenant with us and we will serve you. So Jabesh-Gilead is part of the promised land, but it's just on the eastern side of the Jordan River. Most of the promised land was on the western side. So if Nahash the Ammonite can control this, he would control all of the eastern part 
of the promised land. But they're, they're willing to surrender themselves. So verse 2 says, But Nahash the Ammonite said to them, I will make a covenant, make it with you on this condition, that I will gouge out the right eye of every one of you, Thus, I will make it a reproach on all of Israel. He's just not satisfied of the surrender. He, he kind of wants to flex on Jabesh Gilead. He wants to make a known from, name for himself. He's going to gouge out the right. He's seeking to humiliate him. He's seeking to subjugate him. Verse 3, the elders of Jabesh said to him, that, let us alone for seven days, that we may send messengers throughout the territory of Israel, that if there's no one to deliver us, we will come out to you. Now, can you imagine? I mean, there's, right, let's just take, for example, there's war going on right now in uh, Ukraine. There's a counteroffensive. Ukraine didn't say, hey, Russia, hey, 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 we're thinking about coming after you. We're going to give you seven days to figure it out. That's not how you roll in war. But, but the Jabesh Gilead said, hey, man, will you give us seven days? I mean, this Nahash, the Ammonite, is so sure of himself. Yeah, take your seven days. I mean, it's unheard of. You've got to be pretty cocky. But he accepts it. Take your seven days. So verse 4 says, Then the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and spoke these words in the hearing of the people. And all the people lifted up their voices and wept. Gibeah means hill. Hill of Saul. So they come. They're speaking all throughout Israel. But they want Saul to hear. Verse 5 says, Now behold, Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen. So we got farmer Saul here. Remember, he was anointed as king. Not much of a transition has taken place in Israel's government. He says, what is the matter with the people that they weep? So they related, related to him the words of the men of Jabesh. So, so what is God's purpose for Israel? Well, that they would enjoy the promised land. They're being threatened, or at least part of them are, by this Nahash the Ammonite. He's going to gouge out everybody's eye. That's not fullness of life. And you know who they're counting on to deliver him? Farmer Saul. Are you serious? Farmer Saul. In the Old Testament, that's how God rolled. He gave his spirit to certain people at certain time for certain tasks. But the New Testament's a different story. When the person comes to faith, God pours out his spirit on that person. We saw it at Pentecost when the church started. The Holy Spirit came out on full on people. So what was a random occurrence in the Old Testament specific to people for specific purposes, God gives his spirit to every believer. What happens when the Spirit comes upon Saul? Verse 7. He took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout the territory of Israel by the hand of messengers, saying, Whoever does not come out after Saul and after Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. Then the dread of the Lord fell upon the people, and they came out as one man. That seems a strange way. You're going to take up a couple oxen. You're going to cut them up. You're going to send them out. And that's going to serve as a call to people to come out. What's happening there? Well, in part, Saul may be relying on past experience. We won't go there, but in the book of Judges, the tribe of Benjamin murdered a woman. 
her husband wanted to call the tribe to account. So he cut his deceased wife into 12 pieces and sent her the tribe of Benjamin. Okay, let me say, this is not normative. This is not, in the New Testament, when you see the Spirit of God coming upon people, they don't react by cutting things up. But these people are reacting to the time of their day. It's a violent world. And they're reacting in violence. Now, what we don't hear is the conversation between Saul and God. We, we don't hear. So we have unanswered questions here. To be honest with you, if I were put as editor-in-chief of the Bible, I would edit this out because it looks bad. But the Bible is reality. And it shows us that sometimes the people of God don't always act in character with God. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever been a person as a follower of God who hasn't acted in the character of God? The Bible's reality. Was this God's design, God's plan? I don't know. I don't, I just, we have unanswered questions there. God doesn't, he reveals himself, reveals himself truly, but not fully. But Saul has been anointed, farmer Saul has been anointed to lead Israel in battle. His method, we might question, but the presence of God, we don't. Here's what it says. Uh, the people come out as one man. Verse 8 says, he numbered them in Bezek, and the sons of Israel were 300,000, and the men of Judah 30,000. Now, scholars will debate the number for thousand and military unit are, are, are similar. Is this 300 military units or 300,000 men? That, to me, is not as significant as that they are numbered as being from Israel and Judah. Saul will be the first king, David will be the second king, Solomon will be the third king, and there will be a civil war under Saul, and the kingdom will split. And we already see the seeds of it right here. Verse 9 said, They said to the messengers who had come, Thus shall you say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, Tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you will have deliverance. So the messengers went and told the men of Jabesh, and they were glad. You bet they were glad. Let me roll ahead in 1 Samuel. At the end of 1 Samuel, uh, Saul will die in battle in the Philistines, and the Philistines will hang his body on a wall. And because they're people of great gratitude, the men of Jabesh Gilead will sneak in at night and take that body down and give him a proper burial. They're grateful that Saul, anointed by God, has risen to this occasion. Then the men of Jabesh said, saying this to Nahash the Ammonite, tomorrow we will come out to you and you may do to us whatever seems good to you. That's very, very vague. They're not lying, but they're not exactly telling the truth that they're going to be coming out with a full army. Verse 11 says this, the next morning Saul put the people in three companies and they came into the midst of the camp at the morning watch and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day. Those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. So we have this big buildup to this battle, and we get one verse. One verse. Oh, they won, and they won big, and they scattered the other guys. Why? Why is it written this way? Remember, we said this is not a comprehensive history. It is true, but it is a selective history. And the author of First and Second Samuel is writing to inform us about people's relationship with God. In specific, in specifically, he's writing to answer this question. We saw it in 1 Samuel 10, verse 27. When Saul was anointed as king, there were certain worthless men who said, 
How can this one, being Saul, he has no military experience, he has no nothing, how can this one deliver us? And they despised him and not, did not bring him any present, but he, Saul, kept silent. The author's answering that question. And it's a question we may have had too. How can a guy who's behind a yoke of oxen be counted on to deliver a nation that's under siege? Because God's going to give him the spirit. God empowers us with his spirit to fulfill his purposes. See, we're, we're, we're wrestling with this question, how does God bring us? How does he raise us up? How does he bring us to the point that we could fill, fulfill his purposes? Here's the deal. God gives us his spirit. God gives us his spirit freely. Why? So we can fulfill his purposes in our life. God gives us his spirit so we can fulfill his purposes in our life. So if you'll let me, let me return to my freshman year in college. It's the first day, Monday of classes. I've got the four o'clock section of freshman chemistry. I walk in at four o'clock or I'm there about 3.55 and at four o'clock, a man in a, dressed in a suit and a, he walks down with purpose. He opens his briefcase and he starts in about freshman chemistry, how hard this class is and the failure rate and how difficult it's gonna be and blah, 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 blah. And he's building to this crescendo. And then he says, this is a research university. We have a reputation, a research reputation and research responsibilities. And professors and graduate students do not have time for undergraduates. It is time for you to grow up and learn this on your own. I'm thinking, ooh. I'm thinking back to the associate dean. I'm on my own for this college thing. And, and I mean, he's just getting ramped up. And, and he's red in the face. And he goes, we have heard that there are other research universities where professors and graduate students make themselves available to undergraduate students, and our attitude is faculty like that ought to be shot. And we hear pop, and he falls over as he's been shot, and some graduate students pull out a test tube, a big cardboard test tube, with some dry ice on it. They yank him in. They set off a reaction with the dry ice, and another guy pops out, and he said, students, that of what you have heard is true. And he goes on to explain that though the sections are big, they can't have office hours, they will have... Uh, help sessions every night of the week and every afternoon of the week for those students who need them. And as students, we go, Phew. I mean, we're packing up our bags to, to go switch our major. You know why I remember that? One, it was clever. But two, it told me I won't be alone in this college endeavor. The people in charge are going to do the best they can to help me and my fellow students. God's calling us to a much bigger task than getting a degree in chemical engineering. But if that's true for the freshmen at Texas A&M, how much more for you and for me? You and I, we're not alone in this thing. God just says, say, suck it up and go do it. And he's not living by fear. If you mess up, you're... You're done. So, no, no, I'm going to walk with you through this. Right before Jesus went to the cross. Now, he'd go to the cross. He'd die. He'd resurrect. He'd, in 40 days, he'd ascend. He made this comment to his followers. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Well, well how's that going to happen if you're going to be physically gone? Well, spiritually, you're going to make yourself known 
in the person of the Holy Spirit. He said, I'm going to give you an advocate. I'm going to give you a helper. That's the Holy Spirit. John 16, verses 13 and 14, here's what he said. But when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. He's going to be a guide. He's going to lead you. He's going to empower you. What? That you might live the purposes of God. Now, the challenge as he leads and guides and empowers us, he say, I'm calling you and I'm empowering you to do something maybe you don't like, want to do. Like, like, you've been in a difficult relationship and that person in the relationship has said this and this and this and this has been hurtful and in response one time you, you said that. Well, the Spirit of God says since you've been forgiven an infinite amount of sin, you need to own that and ask for forgiveness, even if they don't ask for forgiveness for this and this and this and that. And you think, no way, I don't want to do that. That ain't fair. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's not about fair. <laughs> it's, it's about following God and representing him. Uh, the Spirit of God may, in guiding you, lead you to say, you know what? I want to take your vacation time or part of your vacation time, and I want you to serve me with it. I want you to be a leader on a mission trip. I want you to go on a mission trip yourself. I want you to serve someplace, people sitting mission. I, I don't know. I mean, my, my time's short, yeah, 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 but I, I, I'm calling you to give that to me. Why? Because he's empowering you and me to fulfill his purposes. He may lead you to publicly identify yourself as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus before your friends and family. So I'm a junior Baldwin Campus Crusade at Texas A&M, and we do this training on the four spiritual laws, and, and God puts this student, fellow student, on my heart. We went to the same high school. We got the same major, and, and he lives two floors above me in the dorm. So we've been going to class, and we've been hanging out together, and I thought, oh, no. Oh, yeah. Now, no, after I finished graduate school, I, I spent 15 years with Campus Crusade, and looking back on my presentation of the gospel and the four spiritual laws, I did everything wrong. I mean, I just screwed it up as badly as you. I apologized. I fumbled. I was nervous. And, and somehow I got through it. You know, I, I, obviously I saw him as a senior. When we graduated, I stayed at a to go to graduate school. He went to San Antonio to go to medical school, and we would see each other. Every time he saw me, you know what he said? Andy, thank you so much for taking the time to show. That, 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 that presentation, it, it redirected my life. And I thought, really? Really? I, I didn't think it would because it was so badly done. God didn't need my ability. He just needed me to follow his guidance. Yeah, did I mess it up? Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but he majors in that kind of stuff. He can use that kind of stuff. He can turn that kind of stuff around. Are you and I willing to let the Holy Spirit be a guide? Because he does want to guide us. He does want to empower us. He does want to direct us. Why? To fulfill his purposes in our life. We're not alone in this endeavor. God promises us his spirit. Well, verses 12 and 13 says, Then the people said to Samuel, Who is he that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Remember those people were doubting Saul. Bring the men that we may put them to death. Now, is this pettiness? Is this 
Stand against people who are blasphemous. We don't know. But Saul said, verse 13, not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has accomplished deliverance in Israel. For now, Saul seems to have this submission, um, allowing the Spirit to move through him. He seems to have that down. Verse 14 and 15, then Saul said to the people, come and let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. They also offered sacrifice, the peace offerings before the Lord, and Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. You say, well, why, why, why are they making Saul the king? Hasn't Samuel already done that? Yeah, he has privately, but publicly, they are now recognizing Saul as king. God's calling his followers to be on mission. Oh, I'm... You know, Andy, I just do this, I do that. No, 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 I, I think God has divinely called you to this or that. You're a teacher, you're, you're a custodian, you're an engineer, you're a nurse, you're, you're, you're called. What? To fulfill his purposes on your job, in your neighborhood, in your classes, your student. I think that's a divine calling, to be a student. But he's empowering us. He's not leaving us alone, not saying suck it up and do it. But he's empowering us with his spirit to fulfill his purposes. For those of you who have such a person in your life, can I ask you to think about maybe a coach, a band director, a teacher, who you cherish, you value. Why, why do you value that person? I would suggest that person helped you reach a level in your sport, in your music, in your academics that you couldn't have reached yourself. They saw you fail, and they continued to walk through you, walk with you through it. That's just a snapshot of God. He's seen you fail. He's seen me fail. But in our character, in our nature, in our heart, he wants to take us to a place we've never been. You know, as a kid, my, my parents used to take us to musicals, and, and at the end of the show, you know, each member of the cast would come out, and, and obviously the person with the lead or the people who were leads would come last, and they'd all take their bow and curse, and then they'd step back, and then the whole cast would go, who are they pointing to when they do that? They're pointing to the director, aren't they? Why are they doing that? Because that director empowered them, worked with them to get them to a place corporately that they wouldn't have gotten themselves. How much more, church, corporately, should be worshiping this Jesus who takes us to a place we couldn't get ourselves? No, we're not alone. How does God bring us to fulfill his purposes? God gives us a spirit so we can fulfill his purposes for us. Let me pray. Our Father in heaven, we're grateful for your spirit. And we realize that uh, Saul wasn't fit. Farmer Saul is going to lead a, 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 a military liberation. Yeah, I don't know that that's going to happen. And yet, um, it did. You empowered him. And the great news for us as believers is that same Holy Spirit is available to us. Uh, you don't give him selectively as you did in the Old Testament. You give him willingly for people who trust you. And so, Lord, um, would we submit to the Spirit? Would we allow Him to guide us? Would we allow Him to empower us that we might fulfill Your purposes for us? I pray this in Jesus.